Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. As we have been studying through these words over the past two to three weeks, we've seen how devout men and women can read these words and believe them. But then as they begin to work them out in their common understanding, they are able to arrive at very different interpretations and applications of these words. Last week we considered how church leaders from the various doctrinal backgrounds, especially those who would follow after the teachings of Calvin, John Calvin, those who follow after Jacobus Arminius, especially those two, they encompass the Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal uh, denominations and on and on how they can disagree strongly on matters of how the souls of men, how you and I, came to our saving faith in Christ. And all of these dear folks' disagreements are so strong that they have and still do separate themselves into different churches and different denominations. And again, as we've been saying these dear folks are all truly saved. And we will see each other in heaven. But for now, we disagree. And we should not. We also spoke last week of strong arguments uh, currently underway regarding the works of the Holy Spirit. Disagreements. John MacArthur, one of our most noted theologians of our day, published his beliefs in a book entitled Strange Fire, which rebutted much of the beliefs of the Pentecostals as it would have to do with the works of the Holy Spirit. Now again, these are very devout men believing and loving God, but having strong opposing views about the God that they serve and about how worship should take place. And may I say, none of this is new. Such differences have been broiling throughout all the church history. Now this week, may I take our discussion one step further and speak about two somewhat lesser levels of belief in our God, but both very present and influential within our church settings and and within our daily lives and within our families. The first one is uh, one that we have studied this past week and some this morning in our Sunday school class. And it involves the children of Israel as they came out of the bondage, their bondage there in Egypt, and were being given opportunity to enter into the promised land of God and the struggles that they had during those days. Now, we don't know how much the Israelites held to and practiced their beliefs in God during those 400 years or so that they were in Egypt, much of those years being served in slavery. But there is some evidence that 
perhaps most of them tried to maintain their beliefs, tried to practice their beliefs. We know that they did understand about sacrifices because we see that being done as they were being released from their bondage and participation in the Passover sacrifice service. And during all of the plagues and all that God was was uh, putting up on the Egyptians to get the Pharaoh to release these his children from their bondage. They had they had the testimonies of God that He was real and He would be involved in their lives and that He wanted to be. But then we find that as they journeyed out into the desert, that they begin to demonstrate a severe weakness in their faith, especially as they considered going on over into the promised land because there were giants over there in that land and they were greatly afraid of those giants. And they also showed many other opportunities of unbelief, grumbling and backbiting and murmuring, especially against Moses and his leadership, so much so that God refused to allow them to enter on into the promised land. And so they seemed to then merely exist for 40 years in a state of spiritual mediocrity at best. Again, you'll recall that only two of the adults over 20 years of age, Joshua and Caleb, were then eventually allowed to go on in and take possession of the new land. None of the others were allowed to go in. Listen to these words that God gives us in the book of Hebrews as he looks back at this spiritual mediocrity of his children during those days. This is beginning in verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 3. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief. Unfortunately for us, the problem of spiritual mediocrity that God is experiencing here with these Israelites in those days, it is just as prevalent with us today within our hearts and our souls. We are His nowadays Israelites, you and me. And yes, the one body, one Lord, one God and Father still holds true that you and I truly are as much Israel as were those Israelites of that day. And we need to understand that because that brings all of who God calls His children into this oneness that He's speaking about here in these words of Ephesians 4. We read back in Romans chapter 9 that it's not just those who descended from the flesh of Abraham that are the seed of Abraham, but we're told clearly there that just as Isaac 
was a child of the promise, so also you and I are children of the same promise when we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. And because of that, we then become His seed, His beloved children, children of the promise. We're also told in John chapter 1, to all who receive Him, who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the flesh of Abraham, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So as adopted children into the family of God, we truly are Israel. and We're the same Israel that we would read about in verses such as Deuteronomy 6, where he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You and I are the same Israel. We are still, we are all part of this one body of God's family. Now with that being said, we're also very often plagued with these very same problems of unbelief and especially this spiritual mediocrity that so beset these Israelites there in the desert and caused them to be denied entrance into the promised land, into what God speaks about as being his place of rest. You and I, in our spiritual mediocrity, are denied that special rest. Now may I go back and quickly add that all those who fell there in the desert during those 40 years, they were not all blatant unbelievers. We need to understand that. There were many in that group that will surely be in heaven when we get there. And we know that because of the witness of Moses. Moses is in heaven. We know that because we saw him there on the Mount of Transfiguration speaking to the Lord Jesus. So then, thinking of those who fell there in the desert because of their mediocrity, they were not able to enter into his rest. But most of them will still probably be in heaven. They were simply denied the enjoyment of a complete and full fellowship with God while they remained in this life. Mediocrity is a very severe or holds a very severe penalty for us. Now, again, may I say that as much as you and I might want to be different from them, when we examine our souls, we find that each of us is often so much like those dear Israelites. We believe. Yes, we believe. But we waver. We're, as we read in James, the book of James, we're like that one who's tossed back and forth by the waves. We waver. We do not hold fast to our faith, as he speaks about here. And just as with those Israelites, fear. Fear is likely a stumbling block to our faith for each of us. Fear of what might be. Fear of the unknown. And whether fear comes as a natural weakness of our flesh or it comes as a weapon of Satan, and it often does, both, it works just as well to make us fail. 
again, it can come in any number of ways. We can fear losing relationships. We can fear difficulties in our workplace. If we hold too strongly to our faith in a crowd, we might lose our significance amongst our friends. Fear, the elements of it are in so much of, of why our faith becomes mediocre. And it is a weapon of choice in the hands of Satan. It's a simple truth, folks, that the seeds of unbelief, the same unbelief that kept these dear Israelites from being able to enter into uh, that promised rest of God, the same unbelief that infiltrates and, and keeps so much control over your and my hearts, if you and I are not willing to do as we sang in that first song, to join with this King Eternal and lift our battle banners high. These bitter fruits of fear will grow up in our souls and produce especially unfaithfulness, mediocrity. Again, we're saved. Christians can be saved but still lead this and live this mediocre existence in our relationship with Christ. A weakness of faith. Again, saved, yes, but barely so. In these words of Hebrews 3 and 4, I want to, wanted to bring them on forward because they speak about this special rest that God wants for you and me. He wants us to move on. We talk about this in our Sunday school class. He says it's time for you and me. There comes a time for you and me to move on past the drinking of the milk of his word. There comes a time when you and I need to go ahead and start to chew on the meat of his word. And he addresses it this way. He says in Hebrews 4 verse 11, he urges us to labor, to step out of our mediocrity and labor to enter into this rest. He says, let us therefore labor, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now I confess that although I genuinely desire to live all my moments within God's special rest, I have so very few of them, very few of those moments. I want them, but I have so very few of them because I instead allow the world, the flesh, and the devil to have sway over my thoughts, over my behavior. But then I do know that when I deliberately and diligently reach to enter into his rest, my life becomes a joyous life, a joyous condition rest. Now, returning back to the thoughts that we began with in this message, that of the differences between these beliefs in our different churches, we find that this one that I'm speaking of here fits very well into the dilemmas that beleaguer our, con our congregations these days because there are those differences of where, and, and there's truth in all of this, the one that says, let go and let God. You know, we do need to do that. We need to let go of control over our lives and let God start having control. But then again, we have these words that say, but 
Now, at the same time, you and I must make every effort to enter into his rest. Something is required of us. That's the message that I want us to take back home with us today. And then, as we mentioned earlier, we also have those within our groups who do spend valuable time arguing about these various points of Scripture that I spoke about earlier, whether or not they be Calvinist or Arminian or, or charismatic, arguments that do not profit within our churches. And I think about how that must grieve our God as he looks down upon his beloved children. And so I want us to understand this point that I have been speaking of this morning. There's a time for you and I to move on, as it says there in the book of Hebrews chapter 5 and 6. There's a time that we should move on from the elemental arguments that we get into about doctrine. As I mentioned in Sunday school, you and I agree mostly on baptism. We agree with what it takes to be saved. We agree with, well, just several of those points that we argue about. The Lord wants us to move on from those elemental disagreements. And he wants us to move on to the more profitable discussions and growth in, in our relationship with him. Now, I want to bring one more thought into our consideration. And this one has more to do with those outside our church. Not within the walls of churches, but those outside of the churches. But affecting our lives nonetheless. Because these dear ones, they are members of our own families. They are members of our friendships. And these are the ones who do not believe at all. And each one of us has some of those within our families. They simply do not believe. It's not as if they want to believe. Unlike we who come to church each Sunday wanting to know and to worship God, these dear souls simply refuse to believe in God altogether. And their priorities are different from ours. And while we may be very weak in our faith, but we really do want to believe and obey Christ. And so we do not want to love the world and all of its fineries. Because we're told, love not the world, neither the things of this world. But these dear ones that I'm speaking about, they allow themselves full access to the enjoyment of the world. And when we attempt to have discussions with them, they simply say, well, I just don't believe the things that you believe as if by their refusing to believe they can somehow do away with the existence of God. And then also by so doing that, they hope to nullify the consequences that might come to them for their refusal to believe. Similar in some ways to the little child that wants to put their hands over their eyes to pretend that you're not there because they can't see you. It is foolishness, foolishness beyond measure. Now, why do I bring that group into this discussion that we have on these scriptures? Because we're talking about here one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. Uh, they don't desire to have any of that. 
I bring those, though, into our discussion because they are part of who we are. They are part of who we are, and many of them mean so much to us that they influence the way they behave and the way that they conduct their lives, impend and influence much of what goes on in our own lives. And I'd venture to say that each of us in this room has some of that occurring in our own lives. I know that I do. But folks, when all is said and done, these words of our text are really our only hope, our only remedy. Holding fast to the meager faith that we have and not wavering as these turbulent waters of life crash up against us. For those of us who do believe, listen, there's a time for us to be steadfast and to dig our heels into the dirt and command our souls to listen to the words of our Lord and to believe them with our whole heart. So much so that we'll obey all that God commands us to do, especially in those times when we, when the struggles become the worst. How do we do that? Let me refer back to chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews, where he says to us, you are to diligently labor to enter into my rest. He says, how do you do that? The very next words are the words that I repeat to you so often here. He says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce between bone and marrow, soul and spirit, able to discern the thoughts and the intents of our heart. How do we get from where we are in our mediocrity How do we get from where we are in the way that we are influenced by those that we love struggling so difficultly all around us? We go to his word. I want to convince you and me that we need to have a steady infilling of the spirit of God through his word. You and I need to spend so much more time than we do reading and uh, as we said in the call to worship. Thy word have I uh, hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God wants to write his word upon our hearts. And he not only wants to write his word upon our hearts, he wants, as we read his word, he wants to have that access. Because as we read these words, there is spirit in these words. And he's able to reach in at the moment that we read these words. And he's able to discern the thoughts and the intents of our hearts and say to you and me, Wait, think think this way. Wait, do this. Do that. God wants to minister to us. We're told there in Hebrews, it's time. It's time for us to move on from these this elemental level of belief that we have that keeps us in this state of mediocrity. He wants us to join in with who he is. And so he says to us, There really is but one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And he says to us, See, I have set before you, each of us, today, life and good, death and evil, 
If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him, for He is your life and length of days. Let's pray.